All glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories to Shishi Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Agyana Timrandasya Jana Jana Shalakaya Chakshurun Mitam Jena Tasmai Shri Guru Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with a torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam when will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who was established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa tarubhyasya kripa sinubhyavacha patita anam pavanevyo vaishnavevyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Dvaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaura Bhaktivrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Lord Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit Shri Vastakur and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare Hare 
हरे राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे So today is Wednesday, June 10th, 2020, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 6, Conversation Between Narada and Vyasadev, Text 27. Evam Krishna Matar Brahman Nashaktasya Malatmana Kalya Pradurabhut Kale yata evam thus Krishna mate one who is fully absorbed in thinking of Krishna Brahman o Vyasadev na not ashaktasya of one who is attached amala atmana of one who is completely free from all material dirt kala death Pradurabhut, become visible. Kale, in the course of time. Dadit, lightning. Saudamani, illuminating. Yata, as it is. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. And so, O Brahmana Vyasudev, in due course of time, I, who was fully absorbed in thinking of Krishna, and who therefore had no attachments, being completely freed from all material taints, met with death, as lightning and illumination occur simultaneously. Purport. To be fully absorbed in the thought of Krishna means clearance of material dirts or hankerings. As a very rich person has no hankerings for small petty things, so also a devotee of Lord Krishna, who is guaranteed to pass on to the kingdom of God, where life is eternal, fully cognizant, and blissful, naturally has no hankerings for petty material things, which are like dolls or shadows of the reality and are without permanent value. That is the sign of spiritually enriched persons. And in due course of time, when a pure devotee is completely prepared, all of a sudden the change of body occurs, which is commonly called death. And for the pure devotee, such a change takes place exactly like lightning, and illumination follows simultaneously. That is to say, a devotee simultaneously changes his material body and develops a spiritual body by the will of the Supreme. Even before death, a pure devotee has no material affection due to their bodies being spiritualized like a red-hot iron in contact with fire. So we are continuing the discussion between Narada Muni and Vyasadev. And Narada is explaining what happened in, after that moment that he saw God, that he saw Krishna. And he says here that, in that moment, he was thinking of Krishna fully absorbed and had no material attachments or desires, and he met with death and simultaneously um, left his material body and got in, became his spiritual body. So today's concepts that we will discuss is, you know, to be fully absorbed in Krishna to free ourselves from att- attachments and material desires, and death. 
Death is a really intense topic. It's one we tend to ignore. You know, there's, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's some kind of quote that says something like, it's the most amazing thing. Everybody dies, but nobody acts, nobody believes that they will. Um, and so it's something that we ignore. It's scary. We, it tends to cause anxiety, distress. And it's not just our own death that we're fearful of, it's losing a loved one as well. You know, I've had some experiences with death from early on. Um, when I was um, in my teens, a really good friend of mine, I think before, she, I think she was 15, and uh, she died from a severe asthma attack. So that was really my first encounter with the death of someone that was close to me. And then um, my spiritual master, Tamal Krishna Goswami, also, you know, left his body. So that was another important death that someone that was really close to me. And finally, my father. And it's not that I haven't had other people that I know die, but these three people were the most profound, um, had the most profound effect on me. And it's difficult. You miss that person. You try to carry on without them. You think of them, you know, as far as honoring my guru and honoring my father, I try to um, follow their instructions and live according to their legacies as much as I can, or I strive to anyway. Um, So the question becomes, why are we so afraid of death? You know, we all have our own reasons. It could be fear of the unknown, It's so final, we don't know what's going to happen afterwards. But what if it isn't final? What if it's just a transition? Some some people look at death as like a change, right? We're changing um, from one thing to another. So, you know, you can talk about death of an era. Um, So that's just like, you know, the times have changed and it's a whole new culture or a whole new light kind of thing. The entire text of the Bhagavad Gita is basically instructions on how to overcome death. If we remember Arjuna's main dilemma is that he doesn't want to kill his family and friends in this war. In Bhagavad Gita 131, Arjuna says, I do not see how any good can come from killing my own kinsmen in this battle, nor can I, my dear Krishna, desire any subsequent victory, kingdom, or happiness. So he's saying that even if he wins, he loses because this is a war and he'll end up losing people that he um, grew up with, that were his family. He saw different members of his family on the other side of the battlefield. And he thinks, you know, even if they, even if I win this battle, um, I'll still lose all these people that are close to me. And Krishna spends 17 chapters explaining how to overcome death. I always think it's really interesting because, you know, the whole first chapter in the Bhagavad Gita is, is Arjuna explaining his fears. Um, Krishna says a few things, like to clarify what are your questions, why do you have these questions. But Krishna's first instruction is that in Bhagavad Gita 2.12, basically it's, there was never a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings, nor in the future shall any of us cease to be. And in 2.13, he goes on to say, As the embodied soul continuously passes in this body from 
childhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. A sober person is not bewildered by such a change. So he's basically saying we're not this body. We are spirit souls. And the soul is permanent and cannot be killed. This is also Prabhupada's, Srila Prabhupada's first you know, instruction, the first lesson that we have to learn, that we're not this body, that we're spirit souls. In Bhagavad Gita 2.17-18, Krishna says, That which pervades the entire body, you should know to be indestructible. No one is able to destroy that imperishable soul. The material body of the indestructible, immeasurable, and eternal living entity is sure to come to an end. So we are eternal beings in a temporary body. And I think that this is one of the reasons that we are afraid of death, because it's not natural for us. It's not natural as our true selves, our you know, spirit souls as servants of Krishna, that our life comes to an end. So that's another reason that we can be fearful of death is because it's not who we are. It's not who we truly are. We are truly eternal. And we're in a temporary body, so that causes some distress for us. Now, that's not to say that um, we're not still realizing this concept. This is a very, it's the most basic, it's the first concept that we talk about in Krishna consciousness but it's also one of the most difficult to realize. You know, I can say I'm not my body, and yet I still, you know, I feel cold, I feel hot, I associate so much with this body, and I tend to think of things happening to this body as happening to me, and it's really hard to make that separation. And that's what we're striving to do. We're all, once we take up this path of Krishna consciousness, we're all on this path to try to, gain this realization that we are not this body. So there's this idea called spiritual bypassing, and it means using spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business, to shore up a shaky sense of self, or to belittle basic needs, feelings, and developmental tasks. So sometimes we use we're not this body to deflect what's actually going on. Um, and it's true, we're not this body, but if we haven't come to that full realization, then we might be using that statement to not deal with what's happening. For instance, when my um, dear friend died when we were in our teens, you know, I could have just been like, oh, we're not this body, and not really felt her loss and mourned for her. But that wasn't really true to where I was at that time in my life, right? Even now, if I lose someone that's close to me, it's gonna, it's painful. It, it's something that I'd have to, you know, um, admit to. And especially if, how close the relationship is to begin with. And we see all the time that, you know, um, in the Bhagavatam that devotees do express, uh, separation. And that is, a true feeling. And so it's just a matter of separating out what is um, a good, you know, healthy way to deal with loss and what is over too much. Like when does it go into um, extended grief and depression? So, you know, when if somebody else suffers a loss, it's kind of inappropriate to say, oh, well, you know what? They weren't their body and, you know, they didn't die anyway. 
because that person is experiencing pain. They're experiencing something that they're feeling. And even though we know that the soul moves on in that moment, we, it's okay to mourn the loss of that person that we knew. So we have to be very careful of, you know, using this kind of philosophy to justify, you know, oh, well, I don't, I don't need to feel bad for you. You know, don't feel bad because what did you really lose? Everybody needs to come to that realization in their own time. And as devotees, we can feel compassion and empathize with the person. We can mourn the loss of someone or something major, and that's acceptable. It's just a matter of not getting caught up in that loss and that, um, you know, distress or that feeling of loss that we can have. If we see injustice, we can speak up about that also because it's a matter of feeling compassion for those that are suffering injustice. And if we truly believe we're not this body, then we automatically feel compassion for what a person is suffering. In Bhagavad Gita 5.18, Krishna says, The humble sages, by virtue of true knowledge, see with equal vision a learned and gentle brahmana, a cow, an elephant, a dog, and an outcast. And Prabhupada says in the purport, A Krishna conscious person does not make any distinction between species or castes. The Lord is equally kind to everyone because he treats every living being as as a friend, yet maintains himself as paramatma regardless of the circumstances of the living entities. So regardless of that circumstance, as devotees of Krishna, we want to feel compassion for whatever suffering a person is going through. And if we can make some sort of you know, adjustment to help them ease that suffering, to help decrease maybe some injustice, we can do that. It's just like, you know, if a person is hungry or starving... It's a little inappropriate to tell them, oh, well, you're not this body. You don't need any food. Don't worry about that. But they're hungry and they're starving and they, you know, it's hard to concentrate. It's hard to do anything. It's hard to even think if you're feeling that hungry. Um, so the appropriate thing to do is, you know, maybe help them get some food and feed them. Once they're full, maybe they're more likely to hear philosophy. I was listening to a lecture from my guru, um, Tamal Krishna Goswami, and he says, it's really important to not follow Bhagavad Gita in isolation to the rest of the world because the rest of the world does not follow Bhagavad Gita. We want an explanation which takes into account where the world is at today. We can't simply project our movement and its followers into a world that took place 5,000 years ago. It's not that we forget what the Bhagavad Gita says, nor that we not know our duty. We just have to be open enough to recognize that today we're not living in a world where all there is is our duty. Classic traditional duties have to be adjusted according to time, place, and circumstances. When we take the world seriously, people start to take you seriously. We can't just go out and preach to people unless we are prepared to hear people and to understand them and to take them seriously. In today's world, we are all equals. In today's world, there's no such thing anymore as to what is your duty as opposed to mine. We're all citizens of the world, for better or worse. So, um, my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami, in this statement, he's making that he's saying that we have to make sure that 
we're not just using the Bhagavad Gita to gloss over what's happening. It's that we're taking into consideration time, place, and circumstance, what the other person's going through. And it's a matter of taking some time to listen to what they're going through, to, you know, to uh, listen com- uh, empathetically. You know, sometimes it's really important to just listen, to let the other person express themselves. And it's not necessary to give any feedback or advice unless they specifically ask for it. And when you do that, I find when I do that, because it's a hard practice to do, because, you know, when someone's telling you something and you have, oh, I've got all these solutions for you, but sometimes all they want to do is be heard. It's really hard to do that. And when I do that, that makes that person feel so much um, better and they feel like, wow, you really listen to me and you understand me. And then they're going to be a little bit more open and they may even ask at that point. Before, they may not even ask. And if they didn't ask and I give advice, then they'll be like, oh, I didn't want that. I don't want to hear that. So they won't be even open to it. If someone is concerned just about surviving, they're not really concerned about spiritual matters. You know, if they're just worried about having food or shelter or water, some of the basic necessities, they're not really going to consider, oh, well, maybe I'm not this body and I don't need food, shelter, or water. They haven't come to that level of realization. And we have to make sure that we're um, dealing with people at the level of realization that they're at. It's the whole theory of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it starts off with two types of needs. First type of need is deficiency. And these, are the, these can be categorized in um, two different areas. There are your basic needs, your physiologic needs, like water, food, warmth, rest, shelter. Um, Then you have your safety needs. You know, you want to feel safe and secure. And this is the equivalent of um, the basics of human life, which is eating, sleeping, and defending. We all have some level of that that we engage in every day. And then the second basic need is psychological. You know, this is that feeling of belonging, of love, of um, having intimate relationships, of having friends. And this um, falls into that fourth thing that we do as humans, which is mating, right? And then beyond mating is just, you know, also the intimate friends and things like that. And then we have um, a need for esteem, right? Prestige and feeling of accomplishment. And these usually fall into the six desires um, of opulence, right? We've got your wealth, strength, fame or influence, beauty, wisdom, renunciation. And then um, the other type of needs that people have is what's called growing needs or being needs. And this is self-fulfillment needs. This is where we do some self-actualization, or, you know, achieve one's full potential, creative activities, um, it's even said sometimes that people can forego, there's a theory that people can forego some of the basic needs like food, shelter, warmth, rest, security, if they have love and have a sense of belonging. So in some ways, love and sense of belonging is one of the most important um, needs that need to be met. And then, you know, they feel like even if they have insufficient food, um, they still don't feel that, like, loss. 
So in a society when we have strong leaders that truly care about the people they're leading, they see themselves as servants of the people. And they want to make sure that the basic needs are taken care of so that people can pursue psychological needs and higher, right? So they can pursue um, making sure that they know who they are, feeling that sense of love and security. Like if we look at the example in Bhagavatam and Maharaj, Maharaj Parikshit, you know, he would go out and visit his kingdoms, and if he saw any kind of wrongdoing, he immediately stopped that. Any kind of injustice, he immediately stopped that as well. And that's the sign of a true leader, um, that they make sure that everybody that they're leading, you know, their entire kingdom, everybody's happy and their needs are met. And when that's not happening, we can see that injustice occurs. And then sometimes we also see that people will, like we, like I said before, people will forego their natural, their basic needs just to have a sense of love or belonging, but they also might do it for a sense of like pleasure or not to feel pain. And, you know, in the case of something like a drug addict, um, sometimes we can see a drug addict can end up on the streets homeless because they'd rather have that high, that feeling that of feeling really good or not feeling the pain or suffering that they, they're in. And they will do anything to get that, so they end up losing lots of their, all of their um, possessions in pursuit of that, you know, fleeting pleasure. So there is a theory that the fear of death is one of the things that causes people to um, cover this fear up with this kind of comfort, right? So we bury ourselves in material attachments, in material pleasures, in pursuing these things, just to kind of avoid dealing with death, to cover up the fact that we will all die. Because we don't know what's going to happen. In Bhagavad Gita 5.26, Krishna says, those who are free from anger and all material desires are self-realized, self-disciplined, and constantly endeavoring for perfection are assured of liberation in the supreme in the very near future. And this is exactly what Narada Muni is explaining here, that this is what happened for him, right? He was free from all material desires. He was self-realized. He was fully absorbed in Krishna. And so at that moment, he died, right? His body died, but he became his pure spiritual self, and so the more we understand that we're not this body, it's the easier it is to free ourselves from material attachment. And death isn't so terrifying. We cross this bridge or tip the scales of, um, you know, this material attachment and the fear of death and, you know, kind of uh, having more spiritual attachment. We tip that scale by fully absorbing ourselves in Krishna. And again, we have to make sure that we're not using Krishna consciousness to escape our problems, again, spiritual bypassing. We want to make sure that we are honest about where we are. In Bhagavad Gita 3.6, Krishna says, One who restrains the senses of action, but whose mind dwells on sense objects, certainly deludes themselves and is called a pretender. So, 
This is really important. We don't want to be pretenders. We want to make sure that we're honest about where we are. You know, if if something is bothering you and you just say, oh, no, no, I, I shouldn't be bothered by this and therefore I'm just not going to deal with it, it's still going to kind of sit there like a thorn in your side. But if you start to analyze, okay, why is this bothering me? What does it make me feel? Why is that important? And and you start to really get to the root of why something is bothering you or making you angry or making you sad, then you can really start to um, address the root needs. You know, what is it that you actually are doing? And then um, once you kind of analyze, like let's say that um, somebody makes a comment to me about, oh, well, you know, you're just a doctor, right? And then I get a little offended and I have to say, okay, wait, why did that offend me? Because I spent years studying and I I have this knowledge and I feel I feel belittled in that moment. Well, why do I feel belittled? And, you know, I kind of distill it to where I feel that I have no value. Like this person has totally invalidated me. So when I feel like I have no value, I can say, wait, I do have value because... Krishna values each and every one of us and he loves each and every one of us and he's given us all skills and talents and abilities to use in his service. So I have value for Krishna. I have value for Prabhupada and Guru. But in order to make use of that value, I have to use these talents for Krishna. Then it's a little bit different when... And as I start to engage in my Krishna consciousness, I can still engage in Krishna consciousness without doing all of that. But sometimes that um, feeling of not feeling valued just sits and it festers and it grows. And then, you know, it can manifest in so many different ways. So it's important that we, you know, break it down. So it's also important to know how to absorb ourselves in Krishna consciousness. What duties we need to perform, what desires we can use in service to Krishna, how can we use our skills and talents and abilities for Krishna. And we do this under the guidance of a spiritual master. And when we're ready to learn about what more there is in life, right? we're going through this cycle of birth and death, the cycle of um, pursuing pleasure, we obtain it, we feel good for a little bit, and then it's like, what's next? And, you know, or it wasn't what we thought it was going to be, so we pursue the next pleasure. And at some point, we come to this idea of, wait, there's got to be more to it than this. And that's when the super soul in our heart will allow us to meet our spiritual master. And usually our first meeting on this particular path of Krishna consciousness is getting a book from... Um, that's written by Srila Prabhupada. So Srila Prabhupada in some ways becomes our first instructing spiritual master. In Bhagavad Gita 4.34, Krishna says, just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively and render service unto him. The self-realized souls can impart knowledge unto you because they have seen the truth. So Srila Prabhupada is a self realized soul and he's written so many books to explain to us this basic truth of we're not this body we are spirit souls and we're servants of krishna and all of these books is to help us understand these basic concepts so that we can become free from material attachments 
and fully absorb ourselves in Krishna. So just by reading Prabhupada's books, you know, I think we probably get 80 to 90 percent of the way there to Krishna consciousness. And then when we're ready, our own guru, or you know, because Srila Prabhupada is um, no longer on this earth, so then we need to have a living um, guru that can guide us, right? And this guru can guide us more specifically and, and can answer our questions and dispel our doubts, especially if we're open and we surrender. Then our guru can really help guide us to what it is that we can do to help realize that we're not this body. You know, how do we engage ourselves in Krishna's service? And our guru helps us with that. And yesterday, we celebrated the appearance day of my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami. And I, you know, I have to say, he really knew how to engage each and every one of us in service to Srila Prabhupada and Krishna. I mean, I remember having so many conversations with him about, you know, what I want to do with my life and how I want to, you know, what career I should pursue. And he really felt that being um, a doctor was the right one for me. And we discussed, you know, what kind of doctor. Um, and not that he is all involved in these material mundane aspects of life. It's that he's looking at how we can engage these material aspects of life to further my Krishna consciousness. So one person, he may tell, you know, that's not the right move for you. And another person, he'll tell, that is the right move for you. And it has to do with what's going on in each of our own hearts. And that's what he can really, that's where the guru, and especially my guru, was really good at that, like to help distinguish between what's really going to help us. Um, and then when our guru is not physically present, like Tamal Krishna Goswami, who's passed away, you know, he's... Um, left his body, we can consult with other senior devotees. So then we're really engaging in that trifecta of guru, spiritual master, sadhu, senior devotees, and shastra, the books, the um, scriptures. And with those three things, if we let those three things guide our lives, then we can really become fully absorbed in Krishna and escape death, right? We free ourselves from material desires and attachments. We fully absorb ourselves in Krishna, and then we're able to escape death. It's not that the body doesn't undergo death, but as spirit souls, we understand that we're just leaving our body, like Narada Muni does in this verse right here. So, that's actually all I have for today. I hope that Um, if anyone's listening to this, that you're able to gain some realizations um, from this and uh, at least take something away. Anyway, Hare Krishna. Dharantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.